This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heese, and we are back, guys, with another great episode for you here today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. We have Mr. Jake Hofer from Exodus Trail Cameras, The Land Podcast, and uh, a real estate agent out in Illinois. He's a friend of ours, and we're talking all things trail camera related, habitat related, and real estate related. So, we have a great episode here. We're going to get into, you know, Jake's trail camera strategy. Um, we, they just ended their Velvet Fest, so we're, we're still talking trail cameras. We're also going to get into how many cameras he's using, uh, the new farm he bought, the habitat he looks for when hunting some of the other farms in Illinois. Um, we also are going to talk about the current state of the real estate market and just a bunch of fun stuff with Jake from Exodus, and guys, it's, it's a great episode, just uh, real, real exciting. We also hit a cool story on how Jake killed the buck um, on some terrain, some terrain features that, you know, you guys can use and, and think about when you're scouting right now or on your out-of-state hunts this fall. So, you know, Jake Holford from Exodus coming right up, you know, really uh, appreciate him coming on and the time here. So, you know, I want to talk about food plotting real quick. I have my brassicas in. I used the Packer Max roller crimper, guys. Now, that is the Cultipacker roller crimper combo. So, I crimped in a bunch of, you know, summer food plot type seed, you know, buckwheat, um, sunflowers, beans, that sort of thing this spring. 
and the buckwheat did extremely well. Now, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I broadcasted all my, my Carnage Brassicas into the standing buckwheat and used the roller crimper and terminated the buckwheat over top. It looks great. It worked awesome. Um, I actually put a video up on our Instagram, our IGTV video, of me installing those brassicas with the roller crimper. So be sure to check that out. You know, Packer Max, the Lincoln over there, he still has crimpers ready to roll for you. And I know that, you know, if you're skipping even the cultipacking stage of food plotting, you're missing the boat. It took me a long time to to learn to use the cultipacker, a couple of years, um, and that is just huge, let alone having the crimper, if you like the no-tail application. But the packer itself, guys, is food plot season. Give Lincoln a call. He's at PackerMax.com. Now, we have a $25 off code if you use HPC25. So Habitat Podcast, HPC25, 25 bucks off any item that Lincoln sells. Uh, he's been our very first partner since the very beginning of the Habitat Podcast. He's a great guy, great company, and um, great products. And that's all it takes to, you know, be a sponsor with us. We are a partner with us. We want the best of the best. So check him out, guys. Packer Max, the, the roller crimper for no-till application, and then the cultipacker, no matter which way you're planting your food seeds, you need a cultipacker. So I know my buddy Bob Reamer just bought one. So check it out, guys, and um, tell Lincoln Habitat Podcast sent you. Now, there's a bunch of new reviews popping up on our, our Apple iTunes. Thank you guys for doing that. I shared it. I'm starting to share the reviews on our Instagram and Facebook stories. So, you know, everybody can see the nice things that y'all are saying about the podcast. And we just really appreciate that. Just want to thank you, bottom of my heart. Those words on there literally make me feel good inside. And just, it's really cool to see that people are learning from this podcast. People are um, taking our, our, practices and the practices of our guests and implementing them and having success and we want to keep hearing from you guys so if you you know if you like what you see shoot us a message on facebook or instagram um join our habitat chat facebook group that's up to 17 1800 members now uh full of great information so i guess what i'm trying to say is i just appreciate the community that we're building here and and i want to thank you all for doing that and the reviews are just they help us too so thank you very much for doing those i'm sending out five-inch Habitat Podcast decals to those who leave a review. Now, I also want to thank, um, you know, everybody who goes to HabitatPodcast.com. So there's an influx of people in the Habitat management market. This is growing. People are, are loving this stuff. It's this time of year. But we have a bunch of great information on there. We have blog posts and journal entries from other Habitat managers and including ours. We have all of our podcast episodes. We have shirts, hats, decals on there. Just do us a favor and check out HabitatPodcast.com if you don't mind. We would really appreciate that. Now, I, I want to thank um, Realtree, United Country, Land Pro, Lake States Realty, and Auction as well. I'm going to get Chad on here soon for a quick real estate market update. You're also going to hear, hear an, an Illinois real estate market update in this episode. Um, I'm going to get one from Chad here coming up soon. And I just know that properties are selling like crazy. I've been looking around, just refreshing my memory on the market, the properties around recently. I like to upgrade mine in the future. And these properties are selling, you know, like in a day or two, even if they're down a seasonal road. 
you know, even if they're way back in the middle of state land somewhere. I mean, it's an unreal time in the market right now. Um, I'm blown away by it. It's almost intimidating as a buyer. Yeah, but if you're a seller and you want to sell your property, you've been thinking about it like I have on the 15, um, you know, give Chad a call. Chad Taylor at Real Street United Country Land Pro. Uh, he's, you know, your listing most likely will not be on there long. All right, guys, I want to thank Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, and Morse Nursery for their support in the podcast. We have some great episodes planned for you over the next upcoming weeks. Um, you guys are really going to love them. Keep it up, guys. Um, keep up the good work and get your food plots in. And thanks for tuning in as we become better habitat managers. Let's get right to it now with Jake Hofer from Exodus. All right, guys, we're back. We have Brian Hallbly in the uh, quiet, trusty office there, I see, Brian. Oh, yeah, down at the lease trying to get some work done while well, I got a day off, so having a little bit of equipment problems, which all of our listeners can relate to that. So I won't bellyache too much because everybody else is going through the same thing. Yeah. No, I hear you there. It's always uh, Murphy's Law there, buddy. But good work getting down there and, and getting that work done. We have a very special guest today. We have Mr. Jake Hofer from Exodus Trail Cameras, Exodus Outdoor Gear. What's up, Jake? I don't know about very special, but I appreciate you guys having me on here today. Of course, of course. No, you're very special. Um, we've been talking about having you on for a couple of weeks now. Finally got it done here. And uh, we're going to cover like a, a myriad of things today. Um, one, let's talk about who you are, where you're from, and uh, what you do for a living, all that good stuff. And then uh, we'll keep right on moving. Cool, yeah. Uh, my name is Jake Hofer, born and raised in Illinois. Um, I've been working with Exodus, I think, knocking on five years now. And I handle a lot of the sales and marketing, uh, brand. Uh, positioning and everything else, and uh, we have a podcast, Trail Cam Radio, and then another project called the Land Podcast, which is housed underneath Exodus, but I also have my uh, Illinois broker's license and do some real estate. So uh, it's been a very fun and exciting last five years. Times everyone always used to say like, "Oh, time goes faster the older you get," and I always kind of thought it was BS. And then tomorrow's my birthday; I turn 27, and I still feel like 21 or 22 mentally. So it's just it's strange. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, you're still a young buck, Jake. Once you hit 30, everything goes downhill in terms of health and and age and gray hair and soreness yeah. and everything else. So live it up, brother. Live it up while you can. I'm going to enjoy these next three years then. <laughs> and you're in uh, Illinois, correct? Yeah, yep. Awesome. And um, the the Land Podcast, let's hear a little bit about that. I know we'll, we'll cover that here at the end a little bit, but you started a new podcast recently. Uh, yeah. Brian and I have both been on it, which is awesome. Thanks for that. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. So the Land Podcast, it's under Exodus, and it was something that I wanted to start for a while, and finally, I think it was a January day, and I was like, I had two in the bank, and I just like pressed publish. <laughs> I was like, okay, better get to recording here. So, and basically, the whole goal of the, the podcast and platform was, as a broker and as a hopefully prospective land buyer at some point, I was like... There's a ton of information on just about anything investing, anything else in the subcategories of real estate, like to the point where you couldn't consume all of it. But there was not a single piece of uh, content or information talking to people that want to buy recreational hunting land. And I felt with people that I've talked with that had bought multiple pieces, I'm like, these guys know what's going on. Like they are well-oiled machines at this point. And then I'm talking to other 
potential perspective first-time lane buyers, and there's just too big of a gap between the two, and my whole goal was just to kind of close the two to level the playing field and just help people figure out, is this something that they can realistically do? What do they need to prioritize in their life to make it happen if they really do want to do it? And, man, it's been it's been so much fun. It's been an extremely refreshing project up to this point. I think I'm up to nine or ten episodes every single Monday we try to drop them. Awesome, guys. So if you uh, haven't heard of the Land Podcast before, be sure to check that out everywhere you can find a podcast. I'll listen to mine on iTunes or the podcast app or whatever. So mm-hmm. way to launch that. That's awesome. Now, I guess let's stay on the, the land and the real estate side of things. So that land podcast, did you follow your own goal directions to help you buy your own <laughs> first piece? Because we just heard some interesting news. Congratulations. You made your farm. Yeah, this is breaking news. I haven't broken on my own podcast here yet. So, um, yeah, I, yes and no. Um, I graduated from college. I had a full tuition scholarship for the first two years of my schooling. School closed. Went to the cheapest state school. Um, I did have to take out some student loans. Um, I think I was – I'm like one of the first generation of my direct lineage to get a college degree. So that was a goal to nail that down. So Congrats. I did that. Appreciate it. Yeah, and then so I got my education, and then I started working on the Exodus directly, which is – you know, a startup in the outdoor industry, I'll be the first to say the pay wasn't lucrative, but um, <laughs> I well, I don't know, I, I caught some breaks, um, and I ended up paying off all my student loans, and then just kept saving money, driving a crappy car, living way below my means, and then I actually got my real estate license my senior year of college as well, and so I just kind of had this, try to have some level of a dual income with myself, and try to, you know, balance two jobs, and so the long and short of it is, Yes, I follow a lot of the principles and a lot of the advice that I got from people like yourselves and, and everyone else that I've crossed paths with. And uh, I, I felt pretty well, I would say right now, pretty decently po- polished, but I'm sure when I look back in 10 years, I'll be like, oh, I should have done this instead. But right now, I'm blindly confident with what I've done. <laughs> well, good. Yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with it yet. And, and plus, you you know, you you were been saving the money, living below your means before you started the podcast. So I mean, I guess I already knew the answer to that question, but it's good to see that um, you're helping people achieve that goal, and then you achieve that goal the same year you launch a podcast. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and um, it's really crazy, and it's been the feedback that I've got so far that people have reached out. They're just really gracious to have people that have already gone through the process because there's so many nuances to where you can just even get a half a point break on with your interest rate on a large loan, that's a huge deal. Or maybe you are able to buy it 5% cheaper than what you could have if you didn't hear a tip from someone. So, I mean, there's a lot of small advice that can make huge impact, you know, a huge impact with, you know, whatever you end up doing. For sure. So tell us about this, this farm a little bit, as much as you're willing to share. Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to do or was out, I wanted something that I could drive by every day if I wanted to. Not to say that I would, and not to say that I would walk it every day or anything else like that, but I wanted something that was relatively close to where I sleep. And there's an array of those reasons. I guess I was kind of spoiled growing up. A lot of the farms that I hunted were pretty close to where I lived. And so I wanted to have that. So that checked this off. And one thing that I've noticed with people that we've talked with and traveling with Whitetail Cribs and everything else that I've learned from over the years, and you can look at this on any map or any state, is following river systems where river systems heat meet big ag. And this farm checks that box as well. Just over my years, that's the majority of, I would probably say almost 90% of Boone and Crockett bucks are shot 
in my area. I mean, there'll still be some big, one, big ones killed out on more of the big ag. But my goal is to be within a mile or two of the bluffs or right where that meets, and that's where this farm is. So that was a big one for me. And it's obviously along the river system as well, which um, I've just ran cameras in those types of areas and worked at duck clubs when I was in high school and in grade school. So I just kind of had an affinity towards that. So that was some of the other big things. And the other item was not necessarily super concerned with tillable income or anything else like that. Honestly, for Illinois, recreational pieces of ground, taxes are super cheap. Um, So it wasn't like you have to really offset the annual taxes for the property. Um, this parcel that I bought, it's like dirt cheap. It's $50 a year for taxes. So it's not wow. even, wow. It's, yeah, it's not even worth, you know, trying to scrounge up, you know, some income to cover that. But the other thing was just saying, being patient, but realistically, I haven't really been that patient, but I, I have a mental checklist of like, these are the farms that I would buy if I ever had the opportunity. And this was one of them and it just happened to work out. So kind of a long-winded <laughs> sporadic answer but that's kind of my mental checklist no that's awesome and tell me a little bit more about the 50 dollars in taxes i might be buying a new farm <laughs> in illinois because i'm getting a lot more than that here on my 15 acres yeah i don't know it's uh if it's timber tracks it's just so cheap um i mean it's and if you now straight tillable like a square 80 of black dirt it's expensive um okay. it's really expensive but you know, what is quote unquote worthless to the state of Illinois? Uh, pretty cheap taxes. So I'll be, wow. I'm happy That's about great. that. Yeah. And there's a lot of parcels. I've sold some parcels that were other, you know, straight timber tracks and a lot of them are sub $100. I mean, these are, you know, 40 to 35 to 65 acre parcels, but I mean, that's a, it saves you a lot of money versus paying a thousand bucks or 800 bucks a year in taxes of dead money. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, land in Illinois is not cheap. So if you buy an expensive piece of, you know, with some tillable on it, that's going what I've heard five, six, seven, eight an acre. Oh no, tillable now is like, yeah. oh my god, uh, I've seen three tracks at auction this year sell for sixteen thousand dollars an acre. Oh my gosh, swear. Wow. Yeah, it's um where I'm at. It's if if it's a relatively like one thirty pi, which that's a state Illinois, you know, statistic of what they use to value farm ground productivity i mean 10 11 12 is like the norm wow and if it's kind of if it's kind of crappy it's probably between there's really nothing that goes in the fives anymore so in other words yeah land is absolutely astronomical around here right now we're in another big boom of of tillable ag ground so what size piece would that be for 16 an acre what what kind of chunks are going for that question those are big pieces uh there was one over 100 acres that went for that oh my gosh yeah yeah, crazy. And there's, I mean, 13. I look at the land sales bulletin, so I pay, I think it's 500 bucks a year to look at these stats, and it is crazy. I mean, even the off-market deals that you don't see, I mean, right. it, like I said, I would say where I'm at, tillable goes between 10 and 13 an acre, um, like some some of the southern parts of the state. I mean, Illinois is some of the most productive soil on earth, so you have that, but it's crazy, yeah. I, if to be a first generational farmer, impossible, I think. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, no kidding. You couldn't buy that. Yeah. Now, so, uh, as far as that. no, God, if you have something, I was going to pivot on to his plans. Unless you got something to follow up on. I was just wondering if that that soil being so healthy, um, 
continue the farm ground, do you think that has anything to do with some of the river system or maybe the bucks getting big have to do with some of the river system soil as well? You know, things getting washed down over time, nutrients building up, that sort of thing. Any thoughts on that? It begs the question, if you look at, for whatever reason where I'm at, there's um, a history of large typical bucks just in general. I don't know if, you know, the Boone and Crockett says that's because of low pressure and because of that, it allows deer to grow without abnormalities. But okay. in my opinion, there's pockets of the state that have incredible non-typical genetics, and there's For areas sure. of the state that have fantastic typical genetics, and I'm in an area with good typical genetics. So I don't know what that is, whether it is the soil or, you know, it has to do with the glaciers a gazillion years ago. I don't know, right. but I know where there's river, bluffs, and super productive dirt, that's where I would want to be. Gotcha, gotcha. How tall are these bluffs that you're speaking in, in generalities? How, how um, would you it, say? It's so it's it's funny because I always thought they're like, man, these are some these are some pretty good bluffs here. And then we went to Buffalo County, Wisconsin, <laughs> and I was like, I'm on like a fourth or quarter, like a, a quarter or half scale of what is there. So I would say, I mean, elevation changes around 200 foot, maybe okay. 200 feet or so. Um, Nothing like Buffalo County because I was like, holy cow, it's just like everything was times two to what I'm here. So uh, that definitely added an interesting perspective. Yeah, genetics, um, something pretty interesting. I never really paid much attention to it. Uh, I saw a post on Facebook not long ago, and uh, I think it was like a commercial deer farmer out of Ohio. And I guess they call it genetic stacking because I asked my buddy – Danny Warner, who we've had on the show, he used to do some of that. Uh, I don't think he was large scale in the grown big antlers or anything, but he did some captive deer uh, work throughout his lifetime. So I guess when they stack those genetics with the with the uh, top quality females and the males, they can get those insane racks on a two-year-old. And it's just like, how in the heck can they do that? And I, I guess maybe Illinois – has a lot of super good genetics to go along with everything else, and it's just like the perfect storm. Yeah, it, it begs the question. I don't know. And something I kind of took for granted, to be honest, I thought it, as a kid, I was like, man, I just want to kill a deer with the drop time. And uh, to this day, I have never had, a, like, out of all the cameras I've run and every, like, everything else, I've never had a legitimate drop time buck on camera. I've seen some people in the area kill them, but there's other parts like the Golden Triangle of Illinois, for whatever reason, it seems like there's a lot more non-typical genetics there still the bluff system, but I've, I've never, maybe someone out there knows exactly what's going on, but I'm, I can't, I can't put anything on it. This is something I've uh, noticed. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So pivoting to your new place that you got here, you, do you have uh big plans to try to get something done before hunting season or what's your so, plans to get it going here? Yeah. So, uh, closed on it two weeks ago and, um, I put in a food plot, the well the weekend i closed on it and actually worked out we had awesome rain was able to get equipment in there uh put in about a two acre plot right away and honestly life has been absolutely insane and i was waiting for this day to buy a farm my entire life i've been so darn busy that like i haven't even hung a tree stand on there i have like five cameras and um i'm just wanting to disappear from the world for maybe a weekend or two and try to get as much done but i don't know if that's really going to happen so the long and short of it is put one food plot in uh, in a really good location, and then have mentally about four spots where I want to hang stands and uh, shotgun some more cameras throughout there. But I have the mental struggle of not pressuring it too much, too. 
um, and going in there <clears throat> and also having to still get prepared. Maybe you guys have some advice or insight on that because right now I'm struggling uh, to fly by the seat of my pants or just keep the hammer down and try to get some stuff done. So you got two acres in. I mean, that's a pretty good size food plot. Yeah. 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 What so, did you plant there? So I follow. I, I ripped the page right out of Jeff Sturgis's playbook. <laughs> I did. Um, I planted per acre 50 pounds of soybeans, um, 100 pounds of uh, Austrian winter peas, and then 25 pounds of oats. And perfect. I mean, yeah, hit hit the rain absolutely perfect. It rained that night. It rained like four days after. My cell camera, you can already see all the sprouts coming up. So I think it should be really well established. So that's what I planted. And, I mean, that's kind of – I think it should be good. There's a really high stem count on the whole property as well. And so there's going to be a lot of natural food and cover. I think the biggest thing would be – I'd love to try to define the movement a little bit more, but I don't know if that's going to be too intrusive or just allow the deer to – they're going to navigate the property somehow anyways to see what it is. And hopefully sure. you're able to capitalize on it. And then if, you know, if you can't, if there's no advantage to where I'm at in terms of like how they're using the property without getting busted, and then it's going to have to, you know, manipulate that next year. But right now that's kind of what the plan is. And there's, there's enough topography on the property and enough points that come out that I think probably can cheat the wind on some of those points too. So that's, that's the tentative plan. I don't know. <laughs> just, Not a bad plan. Can only, yeah. I can only can control what I can. And right now things are just crazy. I think um, I think being year one, maybe observe more. Just see what happens. I know some guys will say, go in there and change how you want it to be because the deer will react and, and change how you make it. There's other guys who say, stay out for a year, learn what they're doing, and then enhance how they move. Steer them a little bit off left or right or, or get on that path. I'm more of the latter, and I think that with it being – so close to losing velvet. We already saw a buck lose velvet here in Michigan. Wow. I saw on Facebook today. Um, you might be better off getting your stands hung and um, getting a bunch, like four nice mock scrapes, some rendered mm-hmm. cell cameras on there and stay the heck out. I mean, mm-hmm. at least for year one. You're busy anyways, right? So no point in killing yourself. Yeah, and I have other farms to hunt, and yeah. so, it's, you know, it's not the end-all be-all. And this is the thing that I always tell all the, the people that – buy ground with me and they're all stressed out about the upcoming year. I was like, listen, you have, you could have this piece for the rest of your life. So do not sweat this year and, you know, just figure it out. So that's, I'm trying to take my own advice and just hang out, chill out and, <laughs> and uh, just enjoy and savor the moment. Uh, it's kind of what the goal is. Brian, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you covered it. Uh, that's a great idea not to get too crazy the first year. Um, some of the things that take forever, if you have an idea, uh, like fruit trees or getting some miscanthus established, it takes a few years. But, um, you know, you don't have to be in a hurry for that either. You have till spring that you can do that. But mm-hmm. I think Jared covered it very well. I mean, sit back, enjoy the hunting season, uh, listen to what the deer are going to tell you, and kind of come up with a plan from there. Yeah, and they have a lot of advantages on this farm right now, the way it is. Like, um, But my gears are turning, and I already have, like, the, the mental spring checklist. Um, I'm just hoping that, you know, if I kill one buck off there this year, I'm happy. I'm not – if I if I had three sits and I killed a giant on one of those sits, then that's a home run of a year. I'm not um, – like yeah. I said, I have other farms to hunt. That's not – if I want to go hunting, I have other places to go. Awesome. And and speaking of that, let's hear about some of your other farms. Um, you know, you've been hunting that area 
in Illinois for a while. What are you focusing on habitat-wise or or which part of the farm have you figured out over the years is more productive than others? Maybe some of our listeners will take that into account, you know, in, in farm country where they're at and think, okay, well, Jake does well here. Maybe I can relate that to some, some of my farms. Yeah, so one of my – I have a scooped up a solid lease last year um, in a really good deer neighborhood. It's not close to home, but it's worth the drive. And I would say this. I'm not able to do really any habitat improvements, but it's an old overgrown cattle farm uh, with a bunch of CRP. Naturally, really good. And thankfully, the neighbor um, is a stand-up neighbor and has a lot of habitat improvements. So something like that, I just have to hunt the deer movement and uh, be very strategic. And it sucks when you don't have that destination food source on your farm, but uh, thankfully, there's ag nearby as well. So that one, just deer neighborhood, not much I can do. Now, some other small parcels that I do have permission on, um, one of them is a, was a more open property and we went in there and actually just like basically clear cut a section of it, about a quarter acre of it. And it's in a really good high travel corridor area. And now just two years later after doing that cut, I mean, my cell camera is always popping off and there's some really solid deer in there. And then that butts up to big ag too, big ag as well. So it's just from where I'm at with, Ag country, a lot of it is lack of cover, not lack of food. And so the goal typically is to provide more cover, uh, strong security cover, because that's usually not found as easily as, you know, a plethora of ginormous agriculture. Sure, sure. And when you say um, cover, what what does that look like in your neck of the woods? What what sort of trees? Any idea? Are you talking trees or more CRP or standing corn? It's a mix. Um, I'll say this, standing corn, there's some farms where standing corn, it, is, it can be a really good early season October. As soon as the corn, as long as the corn's in, that finger or ditch or small parcel is fantastic. If it's in soybeans, it's garbage. Don't even you know really bother spending time there. So, in terms of that, that's one thing. Another item is um, the CRP. Some of the blends are actually they hold up for a decent amount. Obviously, it's not like a, a true stand of switchgrass or a true stand of miscanthus, um, but a lot of it's just thick, nasty, overgrown stuff that was either neglected or, or purposely manipulated like that small area that, that we cleared out just to make it, you know, thick and nasty with, you know, a lot of regeneration, regeneration, you know, shooting up. So it's, it's a mix of the all, all of them. The one farm, the one farm that is corn this year, two years ago, it was corn and it was one of those years where the corn stayed in really late. And there was a ton of opportunities if you were in there access is an issue but there's a lot of solid deer traveling through the area bedding in areas that they wouldn't typically feel comfortable with and it's really just a a finger edge or a row and that's corn again this year so i'm hoping to capitalize on that biannual pattern to see if uh, some of those deer are doing the same things now that the crops are the same very nice we talk about those those we call them like wildlife cuts or um really successful areas in our land plan services where, you know, Brian, you're, I see those on, on your plans. I put those on, on my plans, the ones that we work on together. And it's like um, that little opening in the woods with early successional forest and the regrowth coming in, it's food, it's cover, it's diversity, it's edge. I mean, you yeah. can't lose. I mean, we, some properties like Ryan's up in Canada, Brian, we, we recommended a bunch on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it helps establish a line of movement too, more predictable line of movement. So, yeah, you get you get four or five good benefits from just something simple like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from 
where that was before we cut that to where it is now, it is drastically different. And it's a small parcel. It's just a good area. Um, but just that one little thing has made a huge difference. And that's on a small scale to probably what most of your plans are. Yeah, there's – well, there's um, – not you say that. There's a, a piece of state ground right by my house here that was just clear cut. I mean clear cut. And uh, I drove by it today. And I peeked my head in there, and it's like there's like six foot of growth, leaves everywhere on everything. And that's like a few months, you know. Mm-hmm. It's incredible the amount of food and cover that that brings right away. So now I, I wanted to ask you, I didn't put this on our on our talking points here, but do you have a story of a or buck you killed on one of these properties where you could kind of tell us how it worked out, the terrain he was using, the maybe his pattern, and, and how you were able to capitalize on that? There's one that comes to mind it was a permission property and it was a buck i got permission on this farm 2019 and this deer was i don't know probably 100 and probably 160 165 inches uh, really solid deer and i had no clue how old he was he just looked really mature and then could never connect with the deer i had him in the rut a couple times um definitely was not a resident buck at the time being Following year, I never got any velvet pictures of him, and then I actually saw him on the hoof about a mile away on a different farm. I said, oh, my gosh, I think that's that deer, and he went drastically downhill, had a bad back hip, like very just key walk, like you could tell who he was, and then I went and hung cameras on basically a lot of ravines, and it's just a creek crossing where all of them pinch down. It's a really good natural funnel. Hung the camera there, and there was another deer i swear i bet he field dressed 300 pounds ginormous wow. i'll just send you a video on this ginormous body deer bully wow. and i had to lift two on the creek crossing and then the deer i ended up shooting and ended up being 10 and a half years old this was hobbled up just looked like he got the hell beat out of him and then 10 minutes later like right at gray light here comes that giant you know hog of a deer like you know strutting basically in, in buck form but anyway so he was in there at the end of october so i went and set up um uh basically Kind of out of the old playbooks, like a third of the way down a ridge and my scent shooting off this cliff up above where I had him on camera with a lot of predominant doe bedding. And this was November 3rd. And I saw that deer open up a scrape that morning and I was like, oh my gosh, that's that deer. I'm going to kill him. And so it was like 45 yards away, giant hedge tree down, like this really thick and nasty. And then my sense is shooting over and I actually grunted him in. He came into that scrape three times. And I just kept, like, faintly <laughs> bleeding. It's kind of an inside joke in Nexus, but, like, using the extinguisher on the bleak because he just got his butt kicked, it looked like. He looks like hell. Like, he does not want to fight anything. He's just looking for a doe. And so I just keep letting out these most faint bleats. And uh, eventually he tried circling. He circled back around this hedge, and then he could not go any further to try to win what was calling because there was a cliff there. And eventually he stood there for probably 10, 15 minutes, and then he stuck, stepped out of the brush, and I smoked him. So that was, like, the key, you know, using the topography to have the deer, you know, get in, the, in a shooting lane, and that worked out really well. And that's – I think sometimes when you talk about Illinois, people don't realize that there's some of those elevation changes, but that's that's what we did. And it's, it's not big woods. It's not – you know, I'm not trying to make it sound cooler than what it is. It's just – it's just some spots that work sometimes. It's enough, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I appreciate your honesty and and pro tip there. I like that using the extinguisher on bleat. It's funny. I've never. I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. One of my secrets is this little guy right here. Ah. This is a grunt tube, if you believe oh. it. 
And in Michigan or um, some more pressured areas, it sounds like a, like a little tiny buck. It almost sounds like a mallard. Like, yeah. Like very, very um, non-intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you got a buck like that or a situation like that where he might not be the boss of the area, in Michigan, if I go rip out that extinguisher and just blow it, mm-mm. You know, not not gonna happen. It's too loud, too much, too fast. But something like that, I kill the buck using this, doing, wow. using that that light action, that very faint sound. That uh, so you, that just came to mind. I have all my crap sitting here from cleaning out my backpack. So uh, yeah, shout out. <laughs> yeah, that's the, it's kind of interesting because I think most people just want to like be the most aggressive caller and you know do that. But it, that's what I swear that's what worked because he wanted to smell or see what was going on there and you didn't have any more room to go now that buck that was whooping his butt about seven days later i saw him on that farm and i was going to try to kill him too and i tried everything and he just did not give a crap he was locked onto a doe so i almost went two for two but <laughs> it, uh, it it didn't pan out i wasn't that lucky now are you using a, a ton of cameras i mean i assume you're using a ton of cameras you know you you're at access you work there mm-hmm. you're part owner like i assume like how many cameras are we talking like I stopped counting around 25 or so. I'm going to guess okay. I'm probably closer to 40 okay. um, would be a, a pretty good guess. And does that – do you think that um, – I'm assuming you think it helps. Like some guys don't want to rely on cameras and kind of rely on their woodsmanship. Some guys, all they do is rely on cameras because it's giving you the most recent information right there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your thoughts on that? I've fallen in the trap of relying on cameras too much at times. I'll tell you this, I've learned a lot more by running 40 cameras than I wouldn't have <laughs> in terms of just areas. Um, you know, we take the, the soaking approach pretty seriously. There's some farms that I won't even hunt, but I'll just plaster it with cameras, uh, whether it's public or private or, you know, hey, can I hang some cameras on your farm just for work and just to see what kind of deer are in the area. So, but there's also times where even with cell cameras or you go and check cameras, you're like, oh, there's nothing on here. And really, you may just be, you know, if you would have checked it a day later, there might have been a mega giant in there. <laughs> you know, you're relying on too much. But I've learned a ton by running lift twos on video, uh, just from mannerisms with the different type of deer. And I usually find some giant deer at the end of October every single year. And that's quickly has become my favorite time to be a deer hunter, just because the amount of cameras that I run and um, I'm not hunting like my home county, I'm hunting the pretty large area around here yeah and so it's cool to find just deer doing almost the same thing you know an hour apart and, and, and so, real quick what what date like you know is your on swish so i've seen <clears throat> this is what usually happens and i have not nailed it down yet but i can't wait the day it happens so usually what happens around like october 17th to the 21st or 22nd i get a night video of a ginormous buck and in the past, I would discount it too much and say, oh, he's, you know, all these different things. He's nocturnal. He's, you know, he's just there for that time only and all this other thing. But one one thing I noticed was those bucks that show up randomly at that end of the October, or I guess the 17th to the 21st, 22nd, they'll be in daylight on that farm at some point. I almost guarantee it because I've seen it happen too many times. Now, a lot of times it won't necessarily be right there, but it's usually an association to a community scrape or the like, the best boat doe bedding in the area and i've seen that happen year after year i have not capitalized on it. i've been darn close but and usually when they come back 
into actually being in daylight. It could even be the, the 25th, 26th, or it could be closer to that first, second, third of November. That's kind of that frame that I've noticed. You know, I'm not a good enough deer hunter to put all the dots together right now, but I have noticed if they show up around that time, do not discount it and don't wait for them to show up because it's usually too late because it's a really narrow window. And this is this is small parcel farm country too. I think it would be different if you had a, sure. a bigger chunk to chase them. But, I mean, a lot of these areas were literally one of the farms where I started putting it together was like five acres. So it's like you're looking at such a narrow window of data anyways, but that's right. that's what I've certainly noticed. So walk us through your strategy. Say you happen to get on a big buck in an area. What's your next step for trying to backtrack him, or are you trying to figure out which trails he's using? I'm trying everything. <laughs> so I would say typically what's happened, and I'm usually a lot of times I, it's maybe in the summer if it's in velvet season, I run pretty much 80% of my cameras in association with scrapes. So if I'm getting them in the summer on a scrape, then I'm circling the 23rd, 24th, 25th in association with the cold front in October to try to hunt that. And that's another thing that I've noticed. In terms of actual strategy, it's I'm not that good of a deer hunter right now. I just run a ton of cameras. I find a lot of big deer. Um, and every now and then I, I connect with one. But I, it's tough because every farm is different in terms of what I have access to. Some of them are permission and I share the permission and there's so many unknown factors I guess sure most of it is annual data figuring out small parcel farms and learning the windows of when farms are good because I have some farms that are small and they're red hot for three days and they suck the rest of the year and it's just having that mental catalog of okay where do I need to be where do I need to be where do I need to be and I'm not targeting a specific buck at this point in my hunting career and so I've tried and, and I've been unsuccessful. So it's just being in the best spot that I can be that day and right. uh, just going through the ropes and, and learning through the hard knocks because I think you can listen to all the podcasts. I've had the privilege of talking to some of the best deer hunters, I think, that walk the face of the earth. I think you just have to get out there and do that. And that's, you know, obviously they they cut the learning curve down, but specific knowledge just takes time. And that's something I've acknowledged. Absolutely. So you said you're running them over scrapes even in the summer for velvet when they're in velvet. Yeah, and I've had really good luck with that. Um, in terms of if I had to break down what are the commonalities of what makes it good, it's pretty much those community hub type scrapes. They're usually in association to really good bedding in the area or doe bedding. Um, and that's honestly like the two things. And if you get bucks that are hitting that literally this time of year, for whatever reason, like they'll hit it between the 15th and 17th of October in the daylight. And if they do, then that next cold front around that 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th. That's, to me, what I've seen happen. Now, usually I'm too scatterbrained, and I'm trying to do that on three different bucks at once. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I've seen that happen so many times. My best opportunity for a giant deer the last couple of years have been between the 24th and November 3rd almost every single year. Sure. Yeah, I've I've noticed that a lot more as I'm – paying attention like you said to these guys that are getting it done every year end of october's really opened up my eyes to uh, paying more attention to that for sure Mm -hmm. now uh these scrapes that you're putting these over in the summer is it stuff that you've had history with or is something that you found scouting the previous spring a mixture of the two um a lot of times it's 
things that I found in the fall and I was just too late. Maybe I got permission in the summer and it wasn't visible, visible to me going to the next year, hanging a camera there for the whole year. And then in the summer, uh, that would be one. Another would be trying to create them. There's one of them on a farm that there wasn't that community hub scrape in a place that I feel like I could really hunt one. There's one on the very edge of the property. It was impossible for me to hunt. So I actually cut that one down and I've moved it over about 200 yards in the spot that I still think is good, but I have much better access and the ability to hopefully train them to do that and kill them and have the advantage. So I did that about a month ago. I have a camera over it and I'm excited to check it because I think more than likely whatever bucks are there right now, I'll have an opportunity later in October. So I guess the the short of it is just trying to figure out how to move it to where I can actually take advantage of it and still, you know, check off the, the boxes for a deer, but check off the boxes for a deer hunter too. Now, Jake, when you say when you say move it, um, walk me through what you did with your process and, and what it looks like. Yeah, so the one that I found last year, this is the farm I got access last year. I just cut down the branches so they don't use it this year. And then it's the same bedding structure, the same point, but it's just on the very other end of it where I have better access. And it's on the southeast. It's basically with the predominant northwest wind. It's on the downwind side of that bedding already. And there's a small sliver of timber that butts up to that. And so I just created one, try to make it look very attractive, you know, showed a bunch of dirt and it's along a trail that they already want to use. And I'm hoping that that movement's going to be moved over to, to where I'm at. And I'm in a really hung a stand and a really gnarly tree. And so I think it should be a killer spot. Sounds good to me. I mean, I <laughs> we'll see. That. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to check that camera. I'm hoping there's some studs hitting it. So, um, and maybe it won't work at all, but I have a pretty good feeling it'll work. So when you run cameras, you said you like to run on video mode. What is that doing for you? Um, I know it takes a lot longer to check your cameras when you're checking a bunch of videos versus pictures, but how much more intel are you getting? Why do you do that? I do it for I do it for work. So a lot of the B-roll for uh, YouTube is from our Lift 2. The other item is I feel like you get so much more idea of the demeanor of the buck you get an idea you, and to me you can see the antler so much better too you can see like oh does he actually have a kicker on that or was it the you know was it a blurry picture so you get to see what the bucks are better you get to see what they're doing you get to see their mannerisms and you also get to see where they're going and where they're coming from so much better and i'm not running them on like 10 seconds on some of those scrapes i'm running them 25 30 seconds long wow. and you get a lot more information than what you think and a lot of it is just small items or even the smaller bucks hitting this scrape, but there's the bigger buck in the background, or um, you can see the the one smaller rack buck that's more mature harassing the other one. And that, to me, you just can learn so much more. Now, it does take more time. It takes more battery and everything else. But I, personally, I think if you did it for like your top, your top tier trail camera locations, it is worth the extra effort in which you'll learn, in my opinion. Great advice. Great advice. Now, yeah, we're we're fired up to get the, the renders out there, get them moving. You know, um, I still have a few more cameras I need to put out, swap some batteries and whatnot. Box scrapes will need to go out. I'm a little behind. Um, but, yeah, I like that video mode on your top potential areas. Then you can at least focus on those and, and then let the others soak in other areas. Or, so are all yours on video or just the top areas? Every single lift, two is on video mode. Okay. Every single one. Um and it, it can be a lot sometimes, but it 
it's part of work. I'm not gonna if that's my if that's my most strenuous activity for work, I'm not <laughs> not doing too bad. So nope. um one one interesting thing though, and this is it was a camera that was on a scrape. Actually it's the one I just cut down this past year. And it had a doe, and it was one of those late October bucks that was on the other side of the place. And it was the only daylight video I had of them. It was November 3rd. Here comes a doe running by, triggers the camera. And I had another camera on another fence post um, that was on the corner of back. The other camera got a picture of the doe, trigger delay, nothing else. But on the one that I had 30 seconds on, here comes the doe, and here comes that, like, 190 barreling behind it, you know, barreling behind the doe. And I didn't get it on the other camera. And if that wouldn't have happened, I would have said, I never got a daylight picture of that buck. But it's clear as day he was on that farm at that time. And I sat dark to dark the day before. <laughs> it's like, you know, gave up. But uh, that's just, you know, you would have never known. I would have never known that he was actually on that farm in daylight. I would have assumed it. But that's concrete proof. And that was, if it was 10-second video, I wouldn't have got it. It's just some of those little things that, you know, could, could trip things off. So that's what I've learned is. You learn a lot more. It may be one little clue, but it could be major. No, and that's awesome. And I think um, I want to get into another question I had that that I haven't given you a heads up on yet. You mentioned something earlier. You know, you guys at Exodus are like the kings of content. I mean, I love yeah. it. I watch all your stuff. I was watching last night about midnight. Um, now, you get to talk to, like like us, a lot of the greatest deer hunters out there, and you've spent some time with them and, and interviewed them and asked them all, all these questions. What would you say are some of the, the top things that resonate with you and, you know, in common with these guys that, um, you know, some of our listeners or even, even us three can, can take away from that? Yeah, the one thing that I found the most interesting is when we walked Jeff Sturgis' farm, he always preached switchgrass and screens. And I had an idea what that looked like in my head or, like, what that would look like on my farm. And then I went and walked it. Probably 4X of what I pictured, you know, four times the amount of what I thought he would do with screening. And stuff where there's even, you know, topography to help block something off, he would still screen it off where I think most people would not. And they would just use, okay, well, there's the topography. But he screened off, screened off so much more than I would have ever anticipated. And, you know, having a farm now, definitely that is in the back of my mind. That's one thing that surprised me that, you listen to it, but until you go see it, it's totally different. The other thing is the specific knowledge of just getting experience under your belt. That's pretty much what all of them say. Like you can, you know, it just takes time. A lot of these people, if you would have talked to them when they were my age, they wouldn't have the knowledge and expertise of what they do now that they're in their fifties. So I'm recognizing that it's just going to take years and years of years of practice and learning and, you know, have the, luxury of asking some of these people specific somewhat selfish questions that are you know <laughs> you know gonna could potentially help me so yeah that's that's something that I've learned and it's just kind of like cobbling together all these different hunters because there's a lot of similarities that they have but they all have their own kind of twist and and uh things that they do that are just slightly different to, to other people. But a lot of the times it's just being aggressive when the time is right and being patient when it's not and just having having the experience to do it. And honestly, almost all of them do not pride themselves on being good shots too. That's something that I've noticed. They don't – they're not gear – like gearheads. They're not people that are all about their bow setup. There's like when I point at 25 yards, I hit where I need to, and that's all they care about. That's something I've noticed too. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, 
to your point on, on the switchgrass, um, we recommend that a lot on plans for cover. I think it comes back to a lot of cover or sight line or pressure that comes with less stress. Um, but also, like, one thing that I've noticed is cutting. I think I said this on the podcast we did with you guys. I want oh, yeah. some, some properties here in Michigan where guys have been on it for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and the amount that they cut in terms of hinge cutting or felling trees or opening the canopy is just absurd. It's a lot. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, a wrecking crew came through here, you know? So it's just interesting. Maybe it's um, on the extreme side of things that you know, some of these guys are, or maybe it's, uh, you know, what it actually takes instead of dabbling in it, just jump right in. True. I'm not sure yet, but it's pretty interesting to hear you say that, so thanks for that. One thing I'll say, too, is there's podcasts where I'm so focused to try to progress the conversation. I get done, I'm like, put a gun to my head and ask me what I said. I have no clue. <laughs> Sometimes I have to go back and listen to my own podcast to try to retain what, what we talked about because I'm so focused on trying to, you know, make things move along smoothly, which always don't work, you know, always doesn't work out very well, but that's the other thing I'd say. No, it's hilarious. It's kind of the reason I started this podcast is just to be able to record these conversations because I don't have a great memory, so I'm going to forget <laughs> half of it anyway. So now I can go back and listen, and it's kind of the some of the origins of this, but um, no, I appreciate that. Now, I know uh, you guys are, are running a bunch of different programs this fall. We just got done with Velvet Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, how that that um, end up going for you guys, and, and what's next? What should people be looking for with their trail cam pictures next? Yeah, Velvet Fest was fantastic um, from a campaign perspective. I was probably about 40% capacity on having my own cameras out, which kind of sucks because I I love this time of year, and I think it's so fun to run cameras just to get pictures of big deer, not necessarily because it's going to help you kill a deer later in the year, but it's just fun. So Velvet Fest was awesome. It was great. Um, the next thing, I guess, in terms of what we kind of have pillar content would be Scrape Week, which – uh, was birthed out of my love for, you know, that last part of October because I just, man, I, it is such an amazing time to be a human being. I like to chase deer because there's just so much cool stuff going on. You have big deer showing up that, you know, have been gone for a long time and you're getting them pissed off on scrapes and doing a lot of cool stuff. And I think that's a product of running a lot of cameras on video is you can definitely like tie into the emotion of like, wow, it's crazy. Um, so that's the next kind of big thing we try to, talk with people that have, you know, great expertise in those times of year. So that's something that we're looking forward to. And then right now it's just, you know, hammering down the schedule that we, that we put out. So it's just, I think usually we're trying to nail three YouTube videos a week, two podcasts a week. And it's just, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot to stay ahead of. Sure is. Sure is. Well, I know we're going to continue to, to, you know, work with you guys and get your brand and your products out there in front of our, our guys and, and keep producing the content on our side too. So look forward to seeing, seeing what this fall has in store for, for both of us. And I just yes. want to, you know, wrap up by, by asking how can everybody find you and follow along and um, then, you know, make sure you hit your real estate stuff too. Sure. Yeah. So you can find ExodusTrailCameras.com. Podcast is Trailcam Radio. YouTube's uh, Exodus Trail Cameras. You can find me on Instagram at just Jake Hofer and uh, the land podcast is every Monday. And so we're talking to people that are, you know, first time land buyers. And also we're going to get some people that are experts in the space on there too. So just a lot of fun stuff. More than likely, if you like deer hunting or you like real estate, there's something that we're producing that you'll enjoy. At least I hope so. 
Awesome. And what company are you with with the, the real estate side of things? Yeah, so I work with uh, LandPros. So I'm a broker in Illinois okay. and uh, serve pretty much the north central part of Illinois, licensed to go through the whole state. But a lot of times if people call me that are outside of my area of expertise, I'll just refer them out. And I said, if I don't think I can truly help you, I'm not like I, you need to be with someone that is an expert in that area. And I'm not here just to string you along to try to get more of a commission check. I'll just refer you to someone that I trust. Um, so that's something I take my don't take a lot of pride in. No, that's awesome. I just want to, uh, you know, thank you for your, your time today. I know um, we'll be chatting again in the future, but I also did want to mention, I did mention it on an, on an intro talking about Exodus prior. Um, we do have a, a discount code with you guys for our land plan clients. So all of our land plan clients, you will be getting an email with this discount code. Uh, some of you have already. And, uh, you know, feel free to, to reach out and discuss with us um, if you're interested in that service. So, Jake, what did I miss? Anything else, buddy? No, I appreciate the invite. It's a pleasure talking to you guys as always. Um, I'm excited to see what you guys have in store. I know Brian's down working hard, and, and you're working hard on the day job to <laughs> to get to pay the bills and get ready for this upcoming fall. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, late August, and it's going to be here so quick. I just hope things uh, slow down a little bit so we can fully enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm going to be uh... – I think hopefully it's not too hot this weekend because the rest of the food plots are going in, guys. Solid. Pray for rain. I'll get it behind us. Exactly. So, well, thanks again for tuning in, everybody, and I appreciate it, Jake. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Jake. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal. We can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plot. Realtree, United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.
Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.